We've all seen the incredible horse and rider combinations as the backbone of our sport. But what about everything else that makes the equestrian world tick? From the everyday grind to the world-class professional, join the Equestrian Podcast as we talk about every equestrian discipline in a way that hasn't been done before. Now here's your host, rider, trainer, and influencer behind my equestrian style, Bethany Lee. Hey friends, and welcome back to the Equestrian Podcast. I'm your host, Bethany Lee, and this is episode 343. Our guest today is known on Instagram as the Blonde in the Bay. You may know her, you may follow her. She showcases her life with horses. She began her blog as a way to share photos and updates of her riding career. And since it started in 2015, she's continued to share her successes and definitely her struggles, really everything in between. I've loved her transparency and she's really built an amazing community around it. Her dressage career started in 2004, and she remains passionate about the sport to this day. She is a U.S. Dressage Federation bronze and silver medalist, and in 2021, her and her husband acquired a new addition to their herd, Night Ride, a 2012 model AQHA gelding. He was originally a, as they call it, Western Pleasure Reject, and became a dressage superstar with lots of time, lots of patience, lots of training. Um, There's more to the story, but I will let our guests tell the rest. So without further ado, please welcome our guest today, Maddie Hauser. Hey, Maddie. Hey there. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you today. Yes. um, uh, Many of you know Maddie's Instagram as the blonde in the bay and um I'm sure several of you follow her I mean you have such a cool unique story um with a western background dressage horses and so I'm just super excited to get started tell me how you first got started in the horse world like what did that look like for you So first got started riding, the passion was definitely handed down to me from my mom. My mom was a horse girl all of her life. And she grew up back then, you know, it wasn't a true like discipline specific, you know, she was just riding uh, her Appaloosa named Chief. They lived in Arizona. And she loved it. I remember she would tell me that she would um, tie a little radio to the back of her Western saddle and go trail riding down to uh, the the parks and whatnot. So I was definitely destined, I guess, to be a horse girl. But I was actually born in Manhattan, New York, and grew up riding in Sag Pond at Sag Pond Farm out in uh, Bridgehampton. So grew up doing the hunters with my mom. I did lead line at the Hampton Classic in 97 and 98 back in the day. Wow. Um, that was my that was my first horse show. Uh, my mom used to tell me that I wasn't allowed to growl at the judge when they would come by and ask <laughs> us for our uh, our one question before we could get the ribbon. And so since then, you know, we moved to Texas when I was five years old. And that was the first thing that my mom did when we moved back was find a local facility where her horse could travel from New York and where I could immediately enroll in riding lessons. So grew up in that in that scene, hunter jumpers, really more so of the hunters. I was not a gifted 
hunter, a rider over fences. It wasn't really something that I was wildly passionate about. My pony was a little stinker, but he was your typical first, first pony for every child. I mean, he would Mm -hmm. just kind of like, you know, you're going around the corner and he would kind of just pull you over to the grass or you'd try to get him to canter and he'd just start trotting really fast and cough. Yeah. Um, Classic pony. So he, exactly. He had all the tricks in the book. Um, but he of course taught me how to be gritty and how to sit some, uh, interpretive dance moves. So in about, let's see, in 2004, my mom decided that she wanted to give dressage a try. And I was pretty adamant, even though I wasn't a, you know, Olympic quality jumper that I wanted to still do hunters and jumpers because dressage was quote boring. I remember I threw, I think, you know, a typical hissy fit. I'm not going to do that. I don't want to try it. Don't ask me to do it. Yeah. Well, I ended up taking one lesson with my pony. And I think the technicality of the sport just stuck with me. So ever since then, I, I can't count on the on my fingers how many years it's been since then. But it's been a while, um, almost 20 years. Um, I've really immersed myself in dressage and I don't think I've looked back since or I've tried not to at least. Wow. That's so cool. I know you have a newer horse to you, Night Ride, who came to you, I believe in 2021. And I feel like he began his career much differently than what he's doing now. How did Ryder come into your life um, back in 2021? Ryder was a little bit of a fluke. (laughs) Um, I had just retired my FEI horse, Leah, who is my number one. She's my heart horse. I've been with her for 10 years. And in 2019, we made the decision to retire her from FEI competition due to her age. I didn't want to push her for another year at the small tour and risk any injury. And frankly, at that point, she had earned her keep and she deserved to take a step back. So she was retired for about a year and a half when I got the itch to start my next chapter. And with that, I had already started a new chapter with Leah, of course, but I am a very goal-oriented person. That, that Those goals and ambitions keep me going as a rider. And it's hard to decipher that when your heart horse is retired. You know, the goals drastically change. It's not what it was, obviously, when you were competing and training every day. And so we looked at our life situation at the time. We were living at our place down in South Texas. My trainers were two hours away. I did have, you know, budget limitations and I wanted to find a situation for me that was comfortable. And for me, because I have had confidence issues in the past with horses that are a little bit too, too hot and sensitive, I knew I needed something that I could manage, you know, on a cold winter's day, I didn't want to have to say a prayer before I um, swing a leg over. And so I I grew up riding quarter horses through different lesson programs um, and whatnot. And I've always loved the breed because I think they're just so versatile and so smart. My husband is a team roper. So we've been around his quarter horses for at this point, four years now or three years at that time. And I just, you got the wild hair where I thought to myself, you know, I 
I think it would be really cool to be able to take a, a talented quarter horse and see what I could do with them in dressage. I'd never brought a horse up the levels myself and I felt ready for that challenge. A quarter horse was going to be a good introduction, I think, to me in developing a horse from the ground up. And so I started looking and it took me about a year to find Ryder, which was a total coincidence. And it's actually mm. a funny story. My trainer's husband is a Grand Prix show jumper and he does season down in Wellington. He splits his time between Wellington and Ocala before coming home to Texas. And at that time, my trainer, Ava Oldenbrook, was going to Ocala to visit her husband, Joshua Tabor. And he was actually staying on a quarter horse farm unbeknownst to us. Ava, she and I were having a conversation in the truck when she was on her way there on the phone. And she was like, Hey, by the way, you know, Josh is staying at this quarter horse farm. Do you want huh. me to see if there's anything there? And I said, well, yeah, he's only been there for like two and a half months and he's coming home in two weeks. So please right. see if there's anything there. Cause at that point we had, one horse, you know, we found an unfortunate finding on a pre-purchase exam and the other one we couldn't settle on a price. So I was starting to get mm -hmm. a little bit burnt out with my resources here in Texas. Right. And so they get, or Ava gets to the farm where Joshua is staying. And sure enough, there is this gray gelding that has been on the back burner for you know, a year or so. The, the owner is willing to sell him. And Ava asked me, should I take a look? I said, well, yeah, see, see what, see what he's about. And so it kind of evolved from there. This happened on, I think a Tuesday, I got the phone call and my trainer's husband, Josh rode him on Wednesday after I had received a couple of sales videos. And by that Wednesday, I had to get a pre-purchase exam on Friday. So the horse could be on the trailer come Sunday to come back to Texas. Wow. Oh man. I bought That's Ryder. such a quick turnaround. I know. <laughs> I know. I I broke my own rule and I bought Ryder off of a very blurry three minute WhatsApp video. Wow. Um, Joshua called me and said, look, I don't know what you want. The horse is safe. He's got good gates, got a good mind. Just buy the horse. I said, okay, well, if you say so. I will just buy the horse. Um, and I think it, it definitely influenced me that I had eyes on the ground. Um, you know, I trust mm -hmm. Ava and Joshua with my life. And so if they think that it's safe, then okay, I'll take a chance. Um, yeah. so we, this horse gets on the trailer, mind you, I didn't even know his name until I think like Thursday morning, I kept texting Joshua saying, Hey, can you please find out this horse's name? So I at least, you know, know something about it other than it's gray. So I found out Ryder's name and then he made his trek with a trailer full of warm bloods all the way from Ocala to Texas. And we picked him up. Uh, two days later and took him home. And that's kind of when our journey started together. So it was yeah. a fluke, but I don't, I don't believe in coincidences. So everything yeah. does happen for a reason. Did he have any dressage experience whatsoever? Like what was that process like? Have, Zero. Like, training? Him? Like, <laughs> what, uh, what, where do you start? Like, what do you do in that situation? 
Zero dressage knowledge <laughs> whatsoever. Um, former Western Pleasure Hunter under saddle reject. He was apparently dubbed as an in-betweener, so he wasn't really good at either of those things, wow. which I think was meant to be because he really blossomed under the dressage school of thought. Basically, I started from scratch. I mean, where do, where else do you start? You know, it. it I remember my husband telling me, Hey, are you sure you want to take a chance on this horse? You know, he is nine Mm -hmm. years old and that's, you know, he's done this his whole entire life. And me being optimistic, I'm like, sure, sure, sure. It'll be fine. It'll be fine. And I guess in all honesty, I just got lucky. I mean, starting from scratch, introducing him to the dressage saddle, to um, learning how to move naturally forward, um, you know, head up self-carriage, all of that is kind of where I began and he picked it up so quickly. It was something that I couldn't honestly believe. Um, he, within the first couple of months, he completely understood, you know, taking a little bit of contact, pushing from the, from his time quarters up into the bit and granted, you know, it was a, two year, two year process. I mean, it, mm. it was an almost an everyday process of little, little glimmers of what could be in there. But, you know, we, we kind of had the honeymoon phase in the first few months. And yeah. then when we moved him to my trainer's barn, that's when the nitty gritty kind of started to come to the surface. And it wasn't right. easy. I mean, teach, as you know, teaching a horse how to carry themselves Mm-hmm. and engage their body and and stay soft and round through the contact when number one they don't know how to do any of that number two they're not really technically built to do that job mm-hmm. was mm-hmm. a was a challenge in itself but i'm thankful for the tools that leah taught me over the years to be able to transpire that knowledge into a horse like rider and right. in the last 2 years he went from no dressage knowledge whatsoever to comfortably schooling the third level. And I don't say that as a, Hey, look what I did in two years. I say that Mm -hmm. more along the lines of, Hey, this horse was meant to do this. You know, he's, he's smart, he's willing. And he taught me a lot in that you don't have to have the, the warm blood, the fanciest gates, you can have all of that. But if you don't have the heart and the try, coming Mm -hmm. from the horse, it just doesn't, the ratio just isn't there. You know what I'm saying? I think they have to, they have to really want it and they have to really want to try for you. And I will say out of all the horses I've ridden in my life, rider is definitely in the upper echelon of trainable horses. Um, he just tries so hard and he's, he's good at the dressage. So it was, it all was very serendipitous. I never expected to even get to this point. I made a goal of, I just want to get him training level, you know, going training level solid. That's all I want. Mm -hmm. And we accomplished that goal. I qualified him for regionals uh, last year to show him at regionals. And then after that, it was like, well, maybe I'll sell him. I think it's time that I sell him, you know, it's, he's, he's right where he needs to be for an older adult amateur or a junior. Mm. And maybe he's kind of reached his maximum potential. And then 
I was getting a lot of traction on him, but nothing too serious. And so I thought to myself, well, I'll just keep developing him. And then that period between November to January is where he really, really started to blossom. And the third level work started to happen. He was learning his half passes, schooling his changes, learning how to use his body through the extension. So it was just one of those things where it was like, wow, this is incredible. I had no idea that this was even in here. Wow. So it worked out nicely. (laughs) Definitely. I'm so excited to talk about this brand. They are brand new and they have nano CBD products for cats, dogs, horses, but also for us equestrians. The CEO started really with having chronic back pain and was trying to find ways to relieve that and still be able to ride and feel good in the saddle. As you may or may not know, CBD can really help with pain, inflammation, anxiety, and stress, which I would say at times all of us have. So these products are really, really incredible. You can get a sample kit, which really gives the the full spectrum of products, which I really like. I've been through two now. And the sample box includes the Relief Muscle and Joint Gel, which is like a roll-on gel, and it has a thousand milligrams of CBD per ounce. But what I really love are their Riders Relief Vegan Gummies. It's like a 30 count pack and you you know can decide up to 25 milligrams to 50 milligrams. And um, really just as a, as a good way with less calories and less sugar, but a good amount of CBD. Um, they also have dog treats and more muscle and joint relief. So they really do have some incredible products that are specifically catered to horses, dogs, cats, but also equestrians um, with the owner, Emily, being an equestrian herself. So I really, really highly recommend this product. It is Rider's Relief. So for more information, they are just launching and really took the time to launch um, to really come out with some clean and really effective products. So for more information, visit their website at ridersrelief.com. That's R-I-D-E-R-S relief.com. Obviously, you had really high hopes for Ryder to become your next top dressage horse, but I know recently you received some pretty devastating news. So what was going on with Ryder that kind of led you to seek medical assistance to begin with? And what did the vets find? Well, it's been a process since February. We went through a bad chewing cycle at the beginning of that month and thought we had everything fixed about a week and a half later he presented significant lameness on the front left like three-legged lame which judging by how quickly it came on we all figured okay this is just a nasty abscess which It was, I like to call it the world's most expensive abscess because he went on to spend a week at our vet clinic here Mm. where he had the very best treatment. I have the best vets, but he did end up blowing an abscess through the coronary band on the front left. Now we were all very excited when that, you know, exploded. I've never been so excited to see an abscess pop. And we thought after that, okay, we're going to be back on track. Everything's good. Um, Took him home and it was about a 
a month long recovery. That abscess really did a number on him. So we gave him the time that he needed and started him back under saddle where something just didn't feel a hundred percent right in the hind end. It was like a hitch in his get along, but it would come and go. So we figured, okay, maybe he's just a little bit stiff. He's been out of work for now a month and a half. This just could be normal. Let's just give him the time that he needs. So in that time period, my trainer's property ended up selling and they moved to Ocala. We were building our barn at my parents' property and we were bringing our horses home, which again, all worked out, you know, perfect timing. And in that time frame when we brought Ryder home, I noticed that he was favoring the left hind, short striding on that leg, and it progressively was getting more noticeable. So we took him back to our vet clinic, did some diagnostics, did the sonogram that showed he had synovitis in both stifles. So we went ahead and injected both stifles to see if that would give him some comfort. And, uh, in that two week period that he had off to recover. No, I'm sorry. In that, let's see, it was a week period for him to recover from the injections. Mm -hmm. He started going really well again. And like, we were having some of our best rides at the house, back to schooling, you know, the changes, all of that fun stuff. And one afternoon I pulled him out to lunge him and he was short striding again. So my heart sank a little bit. Back to the vet clinic, another round of diagnostics. We mm. ended up blocking the leg, and the lameness was in a very strange part of the stifle. After discussion with my vet team, we went ahead and injected with Noltrex. We did two shots of Noltrex in that stifle, brought him home again, gave him this time two weeks off to recover from the Noltrex. And after in, or in that time period, we had decided that. Um, we were going to haul him up to Brazos County uh, Animal Hospital to do a CT scan because I didn't want to just keep injecting, you know, will, willy nilly. I wanted an answer. And that's just how my mentality works, I guess. Yeah. So we took him up there, did the CT scan, and I was hoping for something that was going to be easily removable, like a chip or, you know, an OCD, something that we could get rid of. But the the CT showed some pretty unfortunate findings. The right stifle was actually an accidental finding, but the CT discovered that he has two bone cysts, one in each stifle that are located in between the cartilage and in between the joints. And so that left bone cyst is putting some pretty significant pressure and pain on the nerve endings. And uh, unfortunately, it's too far gone now to go in and try to surgically remove them. So with that, you know, that surgeon's diagnosis was, Hey, you know, he really is going to need to take a step back. And I don't think he's going to be able to continue as a dressage horse. You know, it's going to be more of a lower level or pleasure um, situation for him. And naturally, you know, that's devastating. Nobody wants to hear that news. Um, right. I, l- luckily, my mom was on the call with me because I was already you know, crying. Yeah. <laughs> my husband was trying to make me feel better, but I was already devastated, um, you know, after he said that. And so we ended up 
going forward with some PRP therapy. And we brought him home a couple of days after that, I gave him the two weeks off and I put him on the lunge line two weeks later. And to be quite honest, he looked even worse than he had looked prior to any of the treatment. And mm. so I, of course, had a meltdown all over again, um, yeah. but called my vet and we have decided that we pulled his back shoes and we're just going to let him be a horse until the fall and see how he recovers. So I did see him trot in his paddock the other day and it looked pretty dang good. It looked mm-hmm. definitely significantly better um, than it did, you know, a couple, three, three weeks ago now, but you know, it's one of those things that what can you do? You just have right. to put the horse's best interests first at that right. point and kind of set our goals and ambitions aside, Mm -hmm. which is difficult for all of us to swallow, but we'll take it one day at a time and see where rider's journey leads us next, I guess. It's the only thing we can do, you know? Yeah. And you never know. I mean, time can be sometimes the most powerful form of hundred percent, you know, of recovery. It can, it, it, sometimes horses, like you said, just need to be horses and we can do all of the treatments and therapies in the world to try to kind of expedite the process, but sometimes they just need time and yeah, you never know. A hundred percent. And I'm a firm believer in that horses are really fantastic self healers. And mm-hmm. so yeah, I'm hopeful that this time off will give that stifle some time to re recoup and um, yeah. recoup and regroup. And then we'll see what we have come the fall and whether he stays with me or we're able to find him a great situation, then, you know, that's, that's the only thing that matters to me, but sure. it's definitely been a, a lesson in accepting things I cannot change over Mm -hmm. the last five months now. So I feel like that's a good lesson to encounter as a horse woman. Um, It definitely helps just make you a well, a well-rounded horse woman, I guess. Right. I feel like an, like a common struggle or pain point in the industry is I feel like sometimes it's hard to navigate or, or talk about things like injuries and having transparency about injury and recovery and that whole process, um, I feel like is not super often talked about, uh, but something I, I think I, as well as, you know, your community online, I, I know like really value is that you have been really transparent about this whole process with Ryder. And why do you feel like it's been so important to be honest about your struggles? What have you learned from kind of sharing the more emotional sides of the sport? I think I don't know how to do anything other than that, because that's all I've done with the Blonde and the Bay over the eight years. Right. You know, those people that choose to follow me, you know, they've been there. So many of them have been there since the beginning. They've seen me essentially grow up, you know, go through boyfriends, get married, go through horses, go through highs and lows with Leah. And I always found that being just open and honest makes other people not feel so alone because I know it certainly doesn't make me feel 
like I'm alone in this. And I honestly, I lost count how many people messaged me, you know, texted me, emailed me asking me, how are you? How are you doing? I'm so sorry about Ryder. I have had this experience or I have been through this or thank you for being so vulnerable because I'm going through it right now. It, it impacts you and it becomes more than just a social media platform. You know, I, Mm -hmm. the, the blonde in the Bay is truly a part of who I am and I've poured so much attention and love into it over the last eight years that I really don't even think twice. I mean, sure. As you know, being Mm -hmm. an influencer, there's things that you don't want to share online and there's things that you shouldn't share online because those things are personal to you and it's okay to keep that for yourself. You know, obviously I'm not going to post a story of me hysterically crying after I just got off the phone with the surgeon, but I can formulate my thoughts and be candid about, Hey, sometimes it doesn't work out. You know, we all have the best of intentions Mm -hmm. and we all want to achieve goals because that's the narrative that is set for us in horses is we want to achieve and do and do, but, but it's such a reminder that, well, it's really not on our plan at all. It's on the horses game time. You know, they, they make the decisions. They totally. tell us when, when they, then they're feeling good. And they tell us if we're willing to listen when they need our help. And, um, you know, this, just sharing that side of this horsemanship journey has always been at the forefront of my mission with my page, doing it with, with mm-hmm. Leah and talking about how, I was so blessed to be able to ride a schoolmaster, but here was the challenges that came with that and the, the negative, you know, the, the feedback, the negative commentary that you get on the sidelines sometimes from people at horse shows that want to be like, Oh, she rides a schoolmaster, blah, blah, blah. You know how it is. You're in this industry too. And so that was always my main mission. And I think just by sticking true to my narrative and my morals and ideals and views it's really helped me create a genuine conversation flow with my followers and there's been a handful of my my community that have become some of my very best friends in real life Mm -hmm. um you know in irreplaceable friendships yeah that that means so much to me um and so you know this when I was presented with all these challenges with Ryder, I just felt like it was very important to put it out there and show people that you can be a successful rider. You can have X accomplishment, X, Y, and Z. You could have shown at this show, but at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because like I said, the horses are in control and it's, it's important to talk about setting your goals aside and being there mm-hmm. to step up and, you know, being able to help these horses that come into our lives for a reason. And as I said earlier in our conversation, I'm a firm believer in everything happens for a reason, even though I don't know why this is happening to Ryder. It seems like all the right. good ones, it, it, it only happens to the really good ones. Um, I, know. I don't know the reason, the reason right now, and I may never know the reason for that, but Um, If I can impact somebody who may be sharing the same weaknesses, sadness, frustrations, then to me, that's why I feel so comfortable. And to add on to that, um, you know, I feel so comfortable in sharing these truths because my community has always been there to support me 
I'm never hardly met with any negativity when it comes to being vulnerable. And I think that's important to, to say, because a lot of us are, you know, there's some people out there that are scared to, to post writing videos or, you know, say that they're struggling because you don't want that feedback from somebody that's going to ruin, you know, ruin your day even more. And of course, that's not, that's unavoidable in sharing your life on social media. But mm-hmm. I will say that I've been, you know, met with so much positivity that these people who are so invested in my life and in Ryder's life that I've never even met in person, Yeah, you know, having yeah. their support and just when you're in your lowest moment and you see a message come in that just says, hey, you know, I'm really proud of you for putting riders needs first, like it just makes Mm -hmm. your day, you know, and you're like, okay, like somebody is noticing that I'm trying my hardest to make sure that this horse is comfortable. And it's that source Mm -hmm. of validation that you didn't need, but that really, really helps boost your overall mental health. So true. Yeah. I think that that's such a great point and such a, such an amazing part of our industry that I feel like often gets overlooked or maybe even painted in a negative light that, you know, of course there's always aspects of social media that are, you know, just like nasty when it, when it all comes down to it, sure. I can't really think For of sure. a more, more accurate word. It can be so negative, really um, not sure. a great place, but I think what you've done with the blonde in the Bay is um, so great. And I think creating a positive community really stems from being vulnerable and um, being open with your community because then you instantly find people who, you know, are your people and who really like relate to what you're going through. So I think, I think it's just so cool the the whole journey and the fact that you've been able to share it. So um, I just thank thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story, Maddie. It's been really cool having you on and I wish you all the best. Thank you, Bethany. Thanks for having me. All right. That is all I have for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you liked what you heard, please take a minute and write a review on iTunes. I would so appreciate it. It helps people like you find the podcast and it helps me get some killer guests. Thank you so much. And I will talk to you next week.